this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. of radio. So what I'm saying, Jason, is I'm I think I think I have a good chance of getting cast in Cars 4. Huh. What do you think? That was my audition tape. Do you like it? So you're, you're auditioning for sound effect work? I'm going to... Well, dude, the cars make their own sounds. I'm assuming Owen Wilson did that as well as Lightning McQueen. Jason, you oh, don't know how uh, Hollywood works. I don't have time to explain it. Anyway, do you have a dead person yeah. here? Yeah, well, I do. I'm, I do. I'm a now, scared after the movie we talked about last week. I, I well, you know, um, things have been. There's been some changes in Republican heaven lately. One of those things that I used to just be able to kind of grab the grab the old heaven directory and just call people directly up on their heaven phones. You know how it is. Um, but unfortunately, now I have been forced to deal with a public relations agency uh, that is is now kind of just sending me people. Uh, that they think might be useful. I I requested uh, Mr. Can I, can I, can I ask? Is, is it because of the, re- the recent regime change? It may have something to do with that. I'm fuzzy on the details. But so, anyways, I I got in contact with the agency. They they sent me the new rules, and they did send somebody down to talk about this. I don't know. I don't know how relevant it's going to be. But, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, former uh, American stock car racer. Edward Fireball Roberts. Fireball Roberts, welcome to the show. Well, how are y'all doing? So good to meet you, you boys. I am, I, I, wait, where am I now? Am I, am I dead? That's what I want to know. I was, I was driving, I was at the, uh, I was at the, uh, I was driving, I was at the World 600 in Charlotte, uh, and the last thing I remember was suffering second and third degree burns all over my body, and then I showed up here. What year is it? It's uh, it's uh, t- uh, 2023, sir. 2023. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well, last time I checked, it was 1964, so something has changed. Mm, what's... Did I not survive that wreck? Why am I here? Why am I here? Mr. Roberts, uh, uh, I, it feels like you just, yeah, you just arrived. I, you should have gone through the... Uh, um, Yeah, this is this is quite uh, strange, Mister Roberts. Uh, you should have gone through the orientation process, I imagine, up there. To, they, they must have an orientation process. Wait, where are you talking about? I, I, I'm just here now. So, what do you want from me? I'm like, oh, okay, all right, all right. Do you, are you familiar with Formula One racing? Yes, they're all a bunch of pussy European. Fa- all right, that's done, Mister Roberts. You got to get out of here. You got to go, Jim. Jim, get him out of here. Oh, why don't take kindly to people using slurs? We don't. We didn't do that in my day. No, we were all very, very accepting people back then. Me and Orson Welles and Cary Grant. Henry Fonda? 
Henry Fonda, of course. Uh, are we, are we just gonna? Are we just gonna sit here and list old people, or? Oh, I gotta get this guy in here. Who are you? Oh, Jimmy Stewart. I well, I love your movies, Mister Stewart. I just wish there was less black people in them. Well, that's not nice. There wasn't hardly any black people in them in the first place, and I think that was a shame. You gotta get out of here, Fireball. I'm gonna hit your jetpack now. Well, my jetpack. What do you? Ah! Well, it's been taken care of, fellas. Uh, I tip my hat to you. I'm just going back to the door. Thanks, Jim. Uh, wow. This is. This is not going to work out well. If I have to deal with these people sending me, first off, not people that are barely relevant, plus they're they literally, in their minds, just arrived there. They must have a backup or Jason, something. Or there must, maybe Fireball didn't have a VIP. We all know who's take, who's recently taken over Republican heaven. It, it, you know, with, with the Queen Mother, Elizabeth, and Richard Nixon. It's just, it's just true. hellacious up there. Yeah, this this I don't know the details, but this does imply to me that there is some sort of chaos going it's, on. So, anyways, we'll we'll play it by ear. We'll see how it goes. I'll work my best. I got I still got contacts up there, but it's a whole lot of bullshit. But let's focus on what we're here to do, Brendan. What are we fucking here to no, do? No, before we do that, I just want to say it's hellacious in heaven. <sighs> Thank you. I had to get that out. Was was it worth circling back? Yep. That, sir? All right. Yep. So this is a podcast. Um, it's called Four Screen. And country. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And you may be surprised to learn after all that that we talk about British movies. We do. In fact, we've talked about a hundred of them and then some. Well, well over a hundred of them. Well, we talked about a hundred of them on the BFI Top 100 list. We sure did. We, and we talked about a whole mess of other ones. We, we used a, a samurai sword to cut some movies out of that list that we didn't think deserved it to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're kind of filling out that list. Actually, you know what? We didn't cut them out. We just reorganized it. But now yes. we're watching some other British movies, most of them newer than 1999, some still, some before, um, a.k.a. like this week's movie. But uh, we're trying to basically build this into the BFI, kind of expand, you know, you know, get, bring some modernity, some, some, mm. some, some flavor, some spice to this A list. spunk. A little spunk. We're trying to spunk all over this list. That's right. We want to. We want to make it ours. Mm, want to lay claim to the list. So uh, after now that all of you have tuned out, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we can finally let down our hair. <laughs> Just you and me, buddy. So we are going through the Empire Top 100 list. Momentarily, we will talk about this week's movie. But before we do that, Jason, yeah, we should read some comments from our listeners regarding last week's film, and that was, of course. Vroom, 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 Senna. Here on the podcast called Four Screen and Country. Vroom, vroom, here we go. Comments, Senna, racing. Cars, going fast. Sometimes, dying in the car. Now, what we have to remember about Senna's death is that it was was sad, certainly, but it was of the Dale Earnhardt variety of deaths. It was similar to Dale. He just kind of went into the wall and died. It wasn't particularly spectacular, which is fine. You don't have to die in a spectacular way. But, Brendan, I must uh, uh, let you know, uh, are you familiar with the great Gilles Villeneuve? Uh, Is he the one that directed the movie Dune? No, I don't know if he's related. Maybe they are. His son is (laughs) Jacques Villeneuve. Both of them were F1 racers, but Gilles Villeneuve died on the racetrack when his car crashed and uh the crash was so bad he was flung out of the car and his body hung from the fence around the track it had uh, his suit had caught on the fence jesus sad day 
Well, on that happy note, let's go through some of these comments regarding uh, last week's movie, Senna. Uh, starting off with our guest, Philip. Huh? 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 Philip Guest? Huh? Oh, huh. Uh, Philip Guest says, not just a great F1 documentary, but one of the best documentaries of all time. Hard agree. Yeah. It's really good. It, it's and I I think I said this last week, but the proof of a good documentary is one that you can watch where you have almost no interest in the subject matter yeah. and still come away being like that was really good and I was interested in it. Well, and uh, one of the other it'll come up here, but one of the other comments mentions he does a documentary on uh, Maradona, who is a was a famous Argentinian soccer player, and I feel um, now I have to watch that one. Because I don't give a shit about soccer. But if that documentary is as good as this one is, then uh, I think I'll enjoy it. And Jason, you know my obsession with Argentinian soccer. So just imagine how much I'm going to enjoy it. You've uh, long been a, a Peronist. I know that much. Uh, you, you love Juan Peron. You love his variety of fascism. Uh, Juan Peron. long had a crush on that Juan Perona. I mean, and, and of course, your your crush on Ava Perone is well well known, mm. uh, which is strange because she died probably forty years before you were born and uh, remains dead. Visited her grave and I fell in love. What can I say? That's right. Our next comment, Brendan, comes from Jeff Jones, and if I've said it before, I'm sorry, but not that Jeff Jones, please. <laughs> I sure hope so. Uh, he writes, "I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in Formula One racing, but this film was captivating. Superb." And that, yeah. that's the thing. A lot of these comments are just straight positive. I, I struggled to find uh, uh, some some uh, more negative comments. But, Brandon, why don't you go ahead with this next one here? Sure thing. Sherry Martin says, it's good, but it puts Senna in a very good light. He had his shortcomings like everyone else, but this doc doesn't bother itself with them. No, this and, and, and that, you know what? And as long as it's acknowledged, I think that's fine. But yes, this is a very glowing documentary about Ayrton Senna. It is an uplifting documentary. It is a feel good documentary and maybe as such avoids the darker parts of his life, which honestly, I don't know what those would be. Tell us, uh, people. He's a, he's a F1 race car driver. And if there's one thing I know about F1, it's full of rich people. And if there's one thing I know about rich people, is that they are corrupt as fuck. I would honestly like to know, like, what was the shitty thing? I'm not even being sarcastic yeah, or no, like no, no, no. anything. I, I just tell me because I tried to find out myself and I couldn't really find anything. Yeah, well, Jason, I mean, it, you got a whopper of a comment a whopper here. here, but I had to put it in because I haven't heard from Alan Allen in a while, and he wrote a nice comment here, a nice long one, and I wanted a good long one, Brendan. So here we go. We got a long Ooh, one. Give me Are a good ready? long one. Are you ready for this? Oh yeah. Give me every inch of that comment. Alan writes, remember watching it years ago? Would have gone to in would have got into F1 a couple years later when Damon Hill and Michael Schumacher were battling it out. Did find the documentary ludicrously focused on establishing a narrative with extreme bias in its selectiveness of material. Would have been fun as a mockumentary of an unreal life, but just couldn't take it seriously. Separate to the point. I do also remember as a 10-year-old how deeply affected I was by Roland Ratzenberger's death at San Marino the day before Senna. Was extremely moved and kind of zoned out from F1 after that for a while, so Senna's death on the uh, in the aftermath totally passed me by. As for Britishness, would have been good to see a bit about the secondary friendly rivalry between Nigel Mansell and Senna. Did enjoy the brief glimpse of Mansell with a flat cap in the driver's meeting. I, awesome. I appreciate that, I, uh, Aelin. I appreciate a, a differing opinion because this is a documentary that is almost universally praised. So it is nice to hear from someone who uh, uh, doesn't uh, think that. And 
Aelin has proven time and time again that he is a consistent combat writer, so I'm happy to hear it. Um, but Aelin, Indeed. if you could let me know, what is the dark story? What are the dark facts about Senna, folks? Aelin, anybody else out there, send us the tea. Mm-hmm. Spill it and wrap it up in a little foil and ma- send it to us in the mail. He was a... He you was can a, send it... He, Go ahead. Say he was a successful man in the '80s, so maybe he wasn't the best with women. I I, I think that's a reasonable assumption. You can send it to uh, Jason McLeod. I'm going to give out his home address and phone number right now. Uh, maybe it's, we hope. Uh, Let's move on, Brendan. Our one next two nine. Oh, okay. Uh, our next comment is from Graham Hill, and you know somebody's going to Google Jason McLeod one two nine, and they're going to find you. Uh, Graham Hill says it's excellent. As someone who wasn't a big fan of Senna beforehand, it completely. It absolutely changed my view of him, and I don't think you even need to know anything about him or motorsports to enjoy this. Now, isn't it interesting that we had some comments about how this documentary was pretty biased, and then we have this comment saying, I didn't really think much of him. This documentary made me like him. So I'd say mission accomplished documentary. I think think Graham Hill has realized whatever the dirt is, he's like, I was overcome by how awesome the documentary was. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then our final comment, Brendan, because it made me chuckle, Drew Cartwright DeMello writes, it was my number 10 movie of 2011. Drew, let us know what were the other nine and two alternates. And please do it David Letterman style. I want them all to be jokes. We need a video of you at a desk with cards and a gap in your teeth. And I need you to have someone else actually read it for you. Yeah. Uh, do you have a like friend a that can be your Paul? Oh, I'm just thinking because he he oftentimes had a a special guest read them. Oh, special guest. Yeah, no. You can we get Adam Sandler on the horn? Maybe we can get. uh, Yeah, Eddie Deason. Is Eddie Deason available? Can we dig up the corpse of Johnny Carson? Is he available? Yes. We can. Wild. There you go. There you go, Jason. Those are the comments about Senna. But now we move on. We take our clothes off, and we, and which is going to be a lot more disturbing when you hear what this movie's about. And we talk about the film Naked. And also the movie Naked. <laughs> Walking into streets at night, I am wearing clothes, but I wish I wasn't wearing clothes. I need to wear clothes because the society tells me I must wear clothes. So I walk through the night wearing my clothes and then I find a dark alley and I take off my clothes but it turns out that there's already somebody in the alley and I run away as they scream at me saying put your clothes back on and I said no and then some people beat me up (laughs) naked oh there okay I was confused until you said the title yeah thank you for clearing that up Jason, that was a toned down radio friendly version. <laughs> yeah, the the real version is like, I was fucking naked walking around the fucking streets, and some fucking guys came up and I fucking kicked them in their fucking balls. Yeah, you got it. You must have heard it. I, I several times. I mean, I watched this movie. That's true. You did. We both did. We did. We swear we... to God. Swear to God. We're not fooling. We're not no fooling. Jason, we've seen many a Mike Lee film on this podcast. Goodness, have we? Uh, we have seen, seen we have seen a ha- some happy go luckies, some, uh, yeah. some some life is sweets, some some topsies turvy. Yep, some uh, some uh, Mister Turners. Sure, we've seen a lot, a lot of Michael. Uh, we, uh, we we engaged in a n- number of secrets and lies. A number of secrets and lies. I can't believe I forgot about like my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, or yeah, that or life is sweet. Um, what, what I'm saying is, is that we have seen a variety of different slices of life. So many slices of life, almost an entire pizza pie of life. That's right. So we're what? very familiar with Mike Lee. We've seen him uh, be sort of upbeat with Happy Go Lucky movies like that, and Life is Sweet is you know it's got some depressing stuff, but it's, it's also bittersweet. It's also yeah, it's also optimistic. You know, like yeah. I feel like most of his movies that we've seen so far are fairly optimistic. Yeah, um, uh, Topsy Turvy certainly has its moments, uh, uh, but ultimately, I think is hopeful. Yes. And I mention all that because we watched a 1993 film called Naked that was definitely the darkest movie I've seen from Mike Lee thus far. Yeah, so of, of the ones we have watched, uh, which I believe are all the Mike Lee movies I've watched, uh, yeah, this is definitely the darkest. <laughs> this this is the this is the the uh, mincemeat slice of life in this in this pie. It's the weird one in the corner. Uh, although this actually is the movie that it's not the weird one in the corner because this is the movie that launched his career. Is it not like it really got him noticed? This was a big one for him, for yeah. sure. Um, this movie, of uh, course, directed by Mike Lee, as I said, written and directed by Mike Lee, starring uh, David Thewlis as our title character of Johnny. Um, we've got uh, so we got some a cast of people who have a lot of them have been in other Mike Lee films. So we've got Leslie Sharp as Louise. We've got Katrin Cartledge as Sophie. We've got Claire Skinner as Sandra, the nurse who looks very different yeah. from Life if, is if Sweet. I knew you had told me she was in it and the character. And then I, after the fact, I was like, oh, he told me she was in it. Wait, that was her? Wow. Yeah, vast difference. Um, she, she, in one movie, she played a plumber. In this movie, she completely changed herself and played a nurse. Yeah, that's the only difference. The performance otherwise <laughs> was exactly the same. Uh, Peter White is another guy who shows up in a lot of, in some Mike Lee films playing uh, Brian, the security guard. Uh, and I want to mention, of course, Ewan Bremner as Archie, Ooh. the Scotsman, because I feel like he's the king of showing up for five minutes in a movie and being very, and almost stealing the show. Yeah. <laughs> being no, very he's great. Entertaining. Of course, we remember him from train spotting and, uh, various other, uh, uh films where a, a redheaded Scotsman was required. And I believe very briefly in Snatch or yes, Lockstock. Was yeah, one of those. He definitely was yeah. in there, yeah. They both had uh, Vinnie Jones, so I'm confused. <laughs> and then, and I want to come back to this guy in a second because there's something that changed my life forever when I saw this guy in the movie. Uh, Greg Crutwell as yeah. Jeremy Smart slash Sebastian Hawk. Debut, debut film role for this guy. Uh-huh. And he, okay, I'm just going to get this out of the way right now, Jason, because this disturbed me to my core. So not, I mean, obviously the character too, yeah, well, because he's a horrible certainly. sadomasochistic rapist. Yeah. Um. But here's the thing, he shows up in this movie, and I'm like, why do I recognize him? And I'm trying okay. to figure it out. And I look up yeah. and says he's a footballer. I'm like, well, clearly it's not that. Um. So I'm like <laughs> trying to think of like other movies. So I look him up on Letterbox, and my life will never be the same because I found out that he is one of the prominent people in one of my childhood favorite movies, George of the Jungle. Really? He's in that movie? He is one of the hunters who says, did huh. that monkey just speak? <laughs> There's a skinny dude and a bigger dude, and he's the skinny dude, and now I will, I, if I ever rewatch that movie, which I'm sure I will, Ooh. I will be like, oh, good God, George, I am so much more worried for you now. <laughs> yeah, you better watch out. <laughs> oh my god it was it was 
an alarming revelation to see. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I got to praise his performance. I mean, everybody in this movie is good, but this guy, man, he just nails that oh. that role. He's just, oh, a he's just not a person you want to be around. Psychopath and a sociopath. Yeah. It just, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like Johnny amped up to two hundred. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, uh, this movie. movie a little bit. Yeah. What is it about, Jason? This. Like literally, this is another dark slice of life. Like oh, another dark, a slice of life which is extremely dark. Um, because really, this movie is just a segment in Johnny's life, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we open up with with uh, Johnny raping a lady in an alley. What a way to start a movie, by the way. And what uh, a and and I gotta I gotta say again more. I'm gonna praise Mike Lee throughout this whole episode. Spoiler alert, because he's one of my favorites. But, um. What the balls on him to have the character that we're going to follow for the entire movie. And I don't think he's asking us to sympathize with him, but I think he's asking us to, you know, relate to some of the stuff maybe that he's saying or relate to some of the emotions he's feeling. (laughs) And we start off by seeing him sexually assault a woman like right at the end of it. Even even you know thirty years ago that was not that was not going to endear him right out of the gate you know no that's a that's a that's that's Mike Lee daring the audience to like the guy at that point that's really. what I mean that's what I mean that's so <laughs> that's pretty brave to be like this is your character deal with it but then that's and that's the kind of you know that's the thing he does is that we see this guy and we find he's an interesting character he's he's a weirdo. I mean, he's a rapist number one, but he's also he's a weirdo. He's he's a conspiracy theorist. He's uh, itinerant almost uh at this point anyways because he has to run away from manchester because I mean, after he's, he he's certainly well read yeah he's read a lot of stuff uh he seems to like reading the bible uh among other things uh, just just weirdly reading the bible out to himself while mm-hmm. sitting in an alcove um seems to and, be educated yeah and has a weird charisma it, very weird charisma Which, yeah okay there's so many movies that i that that i see that there's like a there's like a guy and he's supposed to be like a real creep and mm. you see all these girls falling for him and you're like I don't get it like why would they fall for this creep like he's such a creep but in this movie I could totally see it like he has a magnetism yeah. about him right yeah it's it, it like I it doesn't mag it doesn't magnetize me but I see that yeah he does he's he's got a sense of humor he's always making jokes as a person who is very often making jokes to uh, probably you know to soothe my own anxiety or whatever i get that um but yeah he's a he's a guy that endears himself to people but i think quickly can wear his welcome out as we see of course of the movie you like him at first but he could really burn through that goodwill pretty quick but it also depends on who he attaches himself to Uh, it's also true too so yeah this movie is yeah you're right it's just his it's just like a i guess a night in his life it's it really is a section of his life because it opens up with him fleeing Manchester, stealing a car, and uh, driving to his girlfriend's place in uh, London, where and, she had moved from Manchester. And, and again, remember, when we first saw him, he was raping a girl. Yeah. So um, his first thought is, well, I better go see my ex. Yeah. And, and not only does he, and the reason he flees, by the way, is because her family comes out and sees yeah. what's going well, on. And he steals a car and takes off. As he as he later says in the movie, I was fleeing a beating, and then I came to London just to get a beating because <laughs> right. I got beat. And so this movie, it's really, um, honestly, it does feel like a play too. Like a lot yeah. of Mike Lee's film films uh, tend to feel. 
um, because it really is just a series of conversations for the most part. And I don't, and I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like uh, boil it down and be like, oh, it's just a bunch of talking. I was going to say, if you boil down all movies to their essence, aren't they all just mostly a series of conversations outside of something that is strictly visual? But, but I mean, like, you know what I mean? This is like a series (laughs) of long, like conversations, philosophizing, yeah, uh, monologues, which as we've seen throughout his work, yeah. Which I'm, I'm just saying, like, again, I don't want to just say, uh, just a bunch of talking. But like, Mike Lee obviously does this well, and we talk exactly. He's among, he's among the best at this type of, you know, basically taking a play and putting it on film and still making it compelling. And we've talked about his process before, getting all the actors to come together, rehearse for, you know, a few months and just making the script as they, making the script from that, from Mm. those sessions. Clearly it's been working for him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Let's talk about, let's talk about Johnny. We talked about a little bit, but this guy is, uh, this guy, this is David Thewlis is, uh, maybe, I mean, I was going to say maybe. This is definitely the best David Thewlis performance I've seen, and that guy is a great actor. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. It's hard to take your eyes off him when you see him in a movie. But, yeah, he's he's really he really gets to go all out in this one as Johnny because, yeah, Johnny, what is it about Johnny? What is his deal? I'm not sure. He's not, um, he's not like a hard drug addict, so far as we can tell. He likes to smoke a lot of pot, but that seems to be his main vice besides cigarettes. Does he smoke pot? Oh, yeah, I guess he smokes pot, yeah. Yeah, at one point we see him with a cigarette and a joint in his mouth at the same Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm, Um, So that's not that. Is there mental illness there? His love of conspiracy theory uh, and weird explanations make you wonder, but also there are people that aren't mentally ill that are also into conspiracy theories too. He does seem to think that anything remotely positive or good that happens to him has a catch. Yeah. I got that vibe from him because right from the get-go, he he comes over to see his ex, Louise, and ends yeah. up meeting her roommate, Sophie, the so-called uh, hippy-dippy uh, woman that lives there. And he charms her very quickly, and they have sex. And then shortly after that, she's getting very, like, you know, attached and everything. Mm. And he's he's not even just like that he's being an asshole. He's clearly, like, physically bothered. Like, there's something going on in his head. Like, when he's sitting on the steps and he's just, like, looking at the wall and he's, like, kind of hitting his head against the wall and he's walking around and he kisses Louise. Then he walks back and Sophie's freaking out and he kisses her and then he tells her to fuck off and then he walks out. Like, I I don't know what's going on in that scene. He's having a breakdown, I think. Is he? Or is that just... Is he a guy that keeps people off balance by? I don't know, but that that he seemed to be because it's to me he strikes me as a character who like is always tries to be in control, Mm. and there he didn't seem to be in control. Well, that's a man, yeah, a man who uh, rapes people definitely has uh, control issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the only time, by the way, that we see him. rape someone because well, he does get he does well, kind of rape he does rape sophie no i mean not, not even kind of he does rape sophie on the couch because he fucking he just grabs her and because she later is talking to um uh, uh louise and says did he ever hurt you and she's like wait did he hurt you no okay i i wasn't sure how to interpret that scene because i know they're having that's how rough, i that's i know they're having th- very rough sex shortly yeah, no, after she that. clearly was not cool with it and yeah. like i say that had speaking to Speaking to Louise after the fact reinforced that for me that yeah that she was that's and that's the trauma that she goes through in this movie because not only does she get raped by him then she also gets raped later by Simon slash or was it 
Simon slash Jerry or Jeremy or whatever Jeremy, the fuck his yeah. name is. Which Jeremy. I'm going to say, right, obviously, right now, both situations horrible. But the one with Jeremy is like, woof. But it's like, what even... Now, I get it. Mike Lee, they make these movies and everything. But this is the thing about this. is like these slice of life movies. I understand that they don't necessarily all have to... Not everything has to tie together. Not everything has to come around. But what the fuck is with him? <laughs> what was the... What was the... I guess just the specific goal with him in the movie, like to we have this to have a character that is even less likable than uh, uh, Johnny. Perhaps? I feel like I feel like it's the only way we could look at Johnny with any sort of not one hundred percent. Well, uh, I view. mean, look, Johnny's a rapist, but he's not a psycho, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's so it's so straight. Well, I don't know. I kind of I kind of get what he's trying to do because it's like. You get a lot of hints at Johnny's past, and maybe he wasn't always like this. Like I, I feel like with Louise, there, there seems to be some sort of warmth to their relationship yeah. when they were together. Like she well, clearly really cares for him. Yeah. Well, by the end of the movie, she's willing to go back to Manchester with him, and and implies that maybe she's going to give it another chance. Maybe, maybe they can rekindle what was what they had. Maybe they can reconnect. So, so knowing that, and knowing how angry and like you know threatening she gets when when push comes to shove with Jeremy, I mean, there's obviously a difference here for her. There has to be. There has to have been something very different about Johnny than there is about this guy Jeremy. But. Uh, we're, I think we're we're all over the map, Jason. We got yeah, yeah. J- so Johnny essentially. Yes, I think he's a very interesting character. I actually think he kind of reminded me, and I don't mean this in any kind of like direct way sure. or any kind of like. Uh, anyway, I think he was like a Christ figure, and I say uh-huh. this because he's like a wandering prophet, like a doomsday yeah. prophet. Sure, but instead of being like you know walking around and kind of helping people with their problems, he's kind of just fucking with people <laughs> but uh, with with their psyche but at the same time it's yeah. like it's almost it, like all the people he talks to are kind of in denial a lot of them mm. especially like the security guard he's talking about oh he's like oh no no i like my job it's a great job he's like oh you got an empty building oh you don't want someone to come in and steal the space yeah like, well, like the that. worst thing is if they steal the steal all that space you never know that they took it <laughs> and he's talking to him like he like the guard shows him a window he can look into, and it's like a woman, you know, getting changed or whatever. <laughs> and he says, "Oh, you wanking off to her?" And he's like, "No, no." He's like, "Oh, come on, you could tell me. Do you got a boner?" Like he's almost like pushing yeah. people to just be honest with him. Yeah, but it, it, it but later too, we have when he encounters that. Uh, uh, not even the waitress. I think it later with Sandra. He starts questioning Sandra, and she, and and I believe standing in for the audience, or at least standing in for me says to him, what, you taking the piss? Like, what are you doing? Like, when somebody comes up and starts interrogating me like that, it's like, what are you doing? Are you trying to mock me? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, and I'm not saying, I, I'm not, listen, I, I just right now get this laid out groundwork. I'm not in agreement with this character. He is not a good guy in, at mm-hmm. all. But, again, it's it's an accomplishment of Mike Lee to make this guy our, our, our centerpiece and that we actually care about his journey, even though we don't yeah. like him. But it's just so interesting that he goes around and is, like, challenging everything people say. Not not so much the scene with Sandra, because I feel like there he's just asking her, like, oh, have you ever seen a dead body? Well, why do you like helping people? But even that's kind of interesting, too, because he's, like, 
yeah, I mean, let's just accept the fact that you're a nurse. But, like, why are you a nurse? Like, do you think you're making yeah. a difference? Do you like helping dead? You ever see a dead body? What do you do? <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it it does come across as trolling and, and kind of, I guess, I guess the verbal version of shit posting. But it also, yeah. it also feels like those are probably questions you ask yourself. I mean, at some point. Yeah, like, it, you wonder, too. I mean, there's a couple of things that... Is he is he possibly even slightly on the spectrum in the sense that he's genuinely earnestly curious about everything, but the way he says it, it just comes out sounding like he's mocking people. He's like um, an evil. He's like an evil conscience. Hmm. You or know what? Is, or is he a shame wizard? Yes. He yes. Because maybe. I mean that is his role in Big Mouth. It's true. He's this is the proto shame was right here. That this guy, this guy died in an alley after he got beat up by that lady's family, and uh, yeah, now he's a shame wizard. I, I mean, maybe we never saw his mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Shoot, where else was I going with him there? Or is he like? Is he? Is he? I was wondering if he was maybe some sort of proto incels, the conspiracy theory stuff, hmm. and it didn't seem like he had a particularly high regard for women. But no. he he clearly is willing to take what he wants, but also has the charm to get laid without doing that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, especially with that drunk lady, he decides she looks like his mother, so he's not going to do it. Well, that's a weird <laughs> scene, too, because he said that, but then yeah. I, the, the real moment that he recoils is when he sees her tattoo. Yeah, and it never is explained. Like, is it just because he's like a weird conspiracy theorist? He thinks that the skull and crossbones on her on her arm means something. Like, the, no, maybe I thought maybe his mother had that tattoo. Possibly, uh, uh, maybe his mother was a pirate. I mean, we, we haven't considered that. It's, I mean, it, it even like, it, it could just be she likes that tattoo. That could be a sex trafficking mark. I mean, I think I mean, this guy. Know. I think I think Johnny. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a controversial statement right now. I think he might come from a pretty uh, unstable uh, childhood. Yeah. Yeah, no, clearly. I mean, yeah. I mean, Manchester's a rough town. <laughs> I mean, we never, I hear. we never hear specifically about his upbringing, which is good. Like, I feel like th- we don't need that. Like, we come into this mm-hmm. world and we're there. We don't need to go, like, circle back and get a flashback and all that shit. Like, that's not what Mike Lee's about. Mike Lee ain't about that shit. But it's clear something has been aging him or something is stressful in his life. Cause he, he meets that. I think at the waitress, he asks her like, how old do you think I am? And she's like, I don't know, 40. And he's like, I'm 27. Yeah. And like David Thewlis wasn't even 30 at the time. So that's yeah. accurate. Well, it didn't help. He like, he like is intentionally looking tired and he's got that scraggly beard and that mustache that was driving me crazy looking at it. Cause I'm like, just trim it. God's <laughs> gotta be so goddamn annoying getting into your lips. Like when it curls over like that, I know mm. when mine gets that long, I have to, to get rid of it or I'll just chew my face off. That's mine right now, Jason. I'm going yeah. nuts. You gotta you gotta you gotta trim that baby and get rid of the right and left side of it and just leave the middle. <laughs> nope. That's that's a bad decision. <laughs> and because you can't just say you're doing a chaplain anymore. You can take it back, Brendan. You could be the guy. I could be the guy. You could be the guy. Do you think Charlie Chaplin really didn't like Nazis or do you think he was just mad that he stole his mustache thing? I think it was mainly that. <laughs> He's like, 100%. if anything, if anything, me and Adolf are in total agreement. He's like, yeah, I hate Jews too, and I am one. So, uh, yeah, get rid of him, Eddie. And then he stole my mustache, and we were no longer friends. Is that Char- is that the Charlie? Ch- is that from Charlie Chaplin's one man show? Yes, yeah. his, his his late sixties one man show, shortly before his death. 
Shortly before his death, he lived until like the 80s or 90s, didn't he? No, I think he died nearly 70s. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Look it up, Jason. Look it up. Let's find out here. Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. This is very important for the listeners. Yeah. 1977. Uh, Early 70s. Christmas Day. Wow. He was born on the 16th of April, 1889. You know who was born four days later? Oh. Adolf Hitler. That's why he was bad. Because they that's had the right. same that's astrological. They were born. Sign. They were born the same week, so that's why they have the same mustache. Oh God! Everybody, everybody else born that week, same mustache. Anytime you Ernst Rome, same same week. Obviously, clearly. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some of the people that uh, Johnny runs into. I mean, we kind of talked about Sophie and Louise a little bit. Louise is his ex girlfriend. Sophie yeah. is her, like I said, hippy dippy roommate. Sure. Um, very obviously, Sophie is dealing with stuff before we even get to her like she's she's having some issues in her life we don't know exactly what but she seems to uh not be you know do have having a great time but i, I think the the people he runs into are really interesting because he uh we get ewan bremner showing up as that guy just yelling maggie maggie yeah. who's who's i don't know if he's drunk uh he's he's clearly got some sort of a tick where he like kind of cocks his head which he's talking which johnny just openly mocks yeah yeah, it's like the guy doesn't notice it because oh. a lot of times, yeah, why would he? It's just what he does. He doesn't think about it. He's like, oh, um, maybe maybe she left you because you were doing that during sex or whatever he was saying. Yeah. Horrible. And then eventually he he, he takes off and, and Johnny's like, oh, I'll stay here. I'll wait. And he does. He just waits and waits and waits until eventually he does come across the girl that meets the description and it turns out it is Maggie, the girl he's been screaming for. And they hang around for a bit and go get a bite to eat and then eventually run back into him and he they get mad. And they kind of leave the scene in a fight. <laughs> yeah, and he just and it's almost like I, I don't know that that spoke to me as like a I I don't know the the character in in mythology this is but there is like a character that like Odysseus perhaps no, is that is that what it is There's like a character that shows up and just like is there to like mess with your life like oh, no, instigate getting... things. Oh, uh, like, like the devil, <laughs> kind of like but like like. Puck or something. I don't like, know. Like uh, uh, Bob and what about Bob? Sure. Yeah. No, I, yeah, no. no Bob Is and that... Twin Peaks. That's the one. Yes. Yes. Twin Peaks. Bob. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah. That... The the malevolent character that comes into your life and fucks everything up. I mean, we've seen that plenty of times. I mean, so many comedies are based on that premise. Wait, wait, wait. Is is what about Bob about about Bob from Twin Peaks? No, I think isn't that the one with Bill Murray? But does Bill Murray play Bob from Twin Peaks? Yes. Oh. Yes, I'd, not everybody named Bob though is in is the Twin Peaks ghost. Are you sure? Yes, because uh, it's because uh, it's so. If if that's true, Bob Balaban, real human. Well, let me tell you this though: if that's true, what you're saying right now, I've lost a lot of interest in watching any of those Bob Hope Bing Crosby road movies. Because if that was Bing Crosby be... was hanging out with a ghost, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, come on, stop, stop possessing those youngsters. We're on the road to Arabia. <laughs> We're on That's the road like. to Twin Peaks. I think that, I don't know. <laughs> hey, old Bob, let's go down the road to Twin Peaks. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. Thank you. That's that's our time. <laughs> um, so. There's other characters. Obviously, there's other people he runs into. There's uh, there's the security guard, uh, Brian. 
Brian, the security guard, who lets him in. Who, um, it's funny because he's sitting outside the this empty building where the security guard's working, and the guard comes out and he's like, you know, Johnny's all like, oh, what are you gonna do? Get me to leave? Is this your little pacing that you do before you tell me to shove off? And then eventually he just lets him in, and you're like, you're like, okay, so is he doing that at the kind of his heart? I think he's just lonely. I think the security mm. guard is just super lonely. <laughs> And he's like, well, here's a guy. He, you know, I don't know anything about this guy. I'm sure if he knew he was a rapist, he wouldn't let him in. But he's like, mm. you know, this guy seems interesting. He's saying some weird shit, but like, I'm, I don't got nothing better to do. Yeah. And he lets the guy in. And that whole sequence in the building is, I think, one of the best scenes in the movie, especially that whole scene that's shot in like silhouette mm. for like a while. That shot took like 26 takes, by the way. Mm-hmm. That scene yeah. in silhouette where Johnny is just like espousing this crazy, this just like rattling off this not so conspiracy theory shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> saying you know like we don't matter, it's all part of a bigger, <coughs> we don't matter, it's all part of a b- bigger organism, yada yada yada, going into the thing where they they see the girl across the way. I, I don't know. It's just uh, I I I feel really bad for Brian. And then, of course, that ties into the girl that he goes, he he tells Brian, you know, why don't you just go over there? Why don't you just go over and see that woman? He's like, well, no, of course not. I'm not going to go see that woman. He's like, you ever seen her naked? He's like, oh, well, once or twice. Um, and then he he goes over there and makes sure that Brian can see what's going on. <laughs> like, it's just so like, oh, my God. He's like in everyone's head. Yeah, and telling that guy, telling or the guy, telling that lady that it's like his brother over there having a wank over him, and he's over there, like, and he, but somehow he's just he like he manages to get himself into these situations by talking himself into it. That people just let him, like, well, oh yeah, can I come into your place, person I've never met? Sure, come on in. But I mean, it's like you said though, it's it's I think it's believable though, yeah, because he's so he's got a he's got that weird energy where it's like. I don't know. He doesn't immediately strike me as someone physically intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not a big guy. I mean, he's a tall, no. skinny guy. He's tall, but he's skinny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you don't necessarily see him as threatening and he's got kind of a friendly look to him Yeah, a little bit. He doesn't immediately come off a straight creep. I also think it's funny that he's hitting on uh, Sandra a little bit when in Life yeah. is Sweet, he banged her sister. <laughs> <laughs> With oh, chocolate sauce. Wants to eventually, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Uh, David Thewlis is attempting to fuck every cast member from Life is Sweet over the course of different movies. Uh, I can't wait for his next role with Jim Broadbent. <laughs> Timothy Spall, look out. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's you know he's got that, and then the, one of the saddest I think confrontations he has is with the girl that works at the cafe. Yeah, because we never find out. We do we ever find out what's what's with her? What's wrong with her? No. I don't know. She he says something that doesn't that didn't stand out, and she snaps. Yeah, because she like so he meets her at the at the restaurant. They like kind of become friendly. He follows her home, asks to come in, looking for a place to stay, and then they end up chatting. And she like gives him some beans and some booze, and you know, and whatever. She says something that makes her fucking snap, mm-hmm. and she kicks him out. And I feel like the actress is the only person that knows <laughs> why why that happened yeah but no, it did I, happen i i think it's so interesting that 
like we don't know we don't find out about that what's going on with that character but um he is he's making he's making like he's making like dumb jokes like when he, he she lets him take a shower at her place and he says you're not gonna come in here dressed as your mother are you and he's like you already kind of are dressed as your mother yeah <laughs> commenting like, on her frumpy clothes like a frumpy yeah a little like mom sweater or whatever which also i mean in terms of him is pretty harmless <laughs> Also, that that does lead to one of my grosser realizations of this movie because he mentions the fact that he hasn't had a shower in like a week mm. or whatever, like 10 days or something. And we remember at the beginning of the movie, he rapes a girl, flees to London in a stolen car, and then proceeds to have sex with Sophie, having not washed, and then rape her a second time. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, he's been, exactly. So <laughs> he's been doing some dirty, dirty shit. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, he even says to the what does he say to the one lady there like, "Oh, you, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't want to do it with you. I'd probably leave you with some cruel disease." Right? Yeah, I think he says that to that girl. In fact, yeah, yeah. No, but she's I don't know. She just got this like she's the saddest character in the movie. I think, yeah. um, and uh, and and he's oh. the and I think she's the only one the only female that he's not either romantically entangled with or sexually entangled with. Like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't end up doing anything with her. To uh, Sandra? No, to the, no. I'm talking about this girl that... Oh, Gina. Or not Gina, Gina. The cafe the, girl. The waitress, yeah. The yeah. cafe girl, yeah. Nothing ever happens between them. He gets yep. out of there before. He gets kicked out of there before anything happens. Hmm. Um, and, and, and a moment that stuck out for me is when he's kicked out and then she throws all his stuff down the stairs... Um, he, he gets, he gets face to face with her yeah, for a long time. Like there's, they're staring at each other so close together. And, and I don't know if he thinks that that's like the moment she's going to like, you know, he's going to be able to like start making out with her. Cause that happened with Sophie mm-hmm. and you know, some other ladies I'm sure, but she just stares at him cold and then he just leaves. Well, yeah, that he, uh. It's interesting that he he didn't he didn't get any any response, so he just abandoned it rather than just going for it anyways. Because he clearly had no problem before doing that. I mean, is there like a? It's it also makes me wonder too because he's obviously a very sad character too. Yeah, and I Absolutely. wonder if he if that if that's like a, a moment of like you know <laughs> we're we're both sad. Like I I don't yeah. know. It's it's like maybe he's like it makes it's like he's seeing something of his own emotions or something mm. like it just, there's something that makes him not do what he would normally do. Yeah. And, and I don't know. That was just interesting. Probably, probably worth it. He bailed, but then doesn't, that's eventually what leads him to getting beat up. Isn't it? When he's out wandering around the streets, cause she kicks him out into the cold. And so he's wandering around and he, uh, he, Oh no, he, cause he finds that, um, the paste guy, the guy going around putting up posters and follows him around and annoys him for a bit. And this is the first guy that finally is like, fuck you. And like, just kicks him, like knocks him down onto the ground and kicks him a few times and leaves him in the street. And then I think accidentally takes his stuff, takes Johnny's bag. Yeah. And isn't he also like, yeah, because he's like ranting him. He's like, because he's putting up like, uh, like canceled signs over like concerts and stuff. He's like, oh, canceled. Oh, what are you doing? You're just living in atrophy. What's going on? Yeah. Just cancel everything. What what purpose do you serve? Just canceling events <laughs> and it's just going on and on. Just annoying the fuck out of him. I'm kind of guy you would expect this guy to be like like this this guy high or drunk or something annoying. No, this is just who this guy is. Yeah, he's bored. He's on the street. He has nowhere to sleep. He's bored. 
<laughs> Even though he gets mad earlier by uh, suggesting the very idea of being bored was crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I don't think he is bored. Well, that's he finds his own fun, and it's think, harassing people on the street with questions. I think this is just his way. I think him just like, like I said, he's like a street prophet, honestly. Yeah. I think he's just philosophizing to people and, and uh, you know, questioning everything they're doing and trying to get them to question what they're doing and, mm-hmm. and, and their purpose and their motivation. It just, it's, I think it just, it's entertaining to him. Mm, absolutely. Um, he just loves people having when he can break somebody's head and just see them and like whoa, right? <laughs> There's nothing, man. It all means shit. <laughs> right, right. And then you get Jeremy. Yes. And that's the guy from George of the Jungle, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but Jeremy is just a psychopath. Yeah, he. There's there's, there's kind of no there's kind of not a lot of, you know. Oh, this is a guy who wants to get a rise out of people. No, well, he does, but certainly is just I don't know. But in a different way, like like yeah, yeah Johnny likes to get rises out of people, but he's kind of charismatic about it. This guy's just weird, cold about it. When oh. he's getting a massage and he asks this girl like, uh, "Would you enjoy being raped?" Like some, like, you know, and it's just like what, and she just is like, ah, "Fuck off." And yeah, she massages him, but then she ends up going on a date with him. Because apparently, I guess that must have been intriguing to her, but she didn't stick around because then he goes home with the waitress and rapes her mm-hmm. and then shows up uh, randomly to this apartment building and we learn that I guess he's the landlord. At least he says he is. I think he is supposed to be. But here, yeah. the thing about him is like, you know, I, I read something. Uh, I read a criticism of this that said, like, you know, uh, the movie treats the female characters as doormats. But I don't think that's true. I think that I think that this is, uh, I mean... I don't have any personal experience. This is a very touchy subject matter. I don't have any mm. personal experience with this, but I think no. I think um it's it seems to be a fairly accurate depiction of abusive relationships. Yeah. People yeah, stay because, in abusive relationships. Yeah, it wouldn't be an abusive relationship if somebody just fucking left. Yeah, like it, but 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 somebody, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not saying that mean. I'm not saying like oh, just get up and leave because I know it's more complicated than it's, that, but yeah, it's so much more complicated than that. I think, and I think Mike Lee realized. I think Mike Lee knows that too, and I think the people in the movie know that because, like I said, they all participate in the creative process. So it's not just like you know, Mike Lee's not just doing his point of view. Uh, the, the, but the, they're, but the the idea that their their housing status is so frail that they're willing to tolerate this psychopath just being in their apartment but and I, not calling the police. But I, but then again, there's that moment where they say, "Well, if we call them, who are they gonna fucking believe?" Yeah, and then yeah, a little comment on the class system there that this guy with a posh accent and nice clothes is probably gonna get more credit than these these you know Cockney girls, one from Manchester of all places. Well, that's the other thing too. This 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 Jeremy guy is rich. It's another difference between him and Johnny. Johnny is clearly not doing well in the financial side of things. No, and no. Jeremy is is loaded. I don't know if they say what his occupation is. I'm assuming he's some sort of like Wall Street or is some equivalent to Wall Street or stock market trader or something. Yeah, or maybe he's organized crime. Who knows? We he don't know. could be. He just he just he he rapes uh, Sophie and then dumps some money on her for the uh, you know this payment. Oh, three hundred eighty pounds. And, and and I gotta tell you. The most, the scariest part of that scene, obviously, you know, he, it's, it, he assaults her and everything, but the scariest part of that scene is when he, when he goes into that, when he's in that home, he's there before anyone gets home. He's just there. Like, so he, I think he is the landlord because I think he has a key. So he's just waiting there when Sophie gets in and he's asking, is he asking about Sandra? 
He's looking for Sandra, yeah. right? Well, maybe here my was it maybe did, did he and Sandra perhaps have a relationship previously? I don't is think they like, did because I don't think no? she knows who he is. Okay, I thought she so recognized I, but, him. But I think I think she knows. And then again, I'm thinking about now. Sandra doesn't rec- doesn't even recognize him, but she's also okay. never there, right? Yeah. So he goes to this place. He waits for Sophie. He waits for someone. And unfortunately, it's Sophie that comes home first, and he immediately like rips her tights and. She says, "Oh, here we go." And that that was Here we so, go. Yeah, exactly. Here oh, we go again. Like really. Oh, this poor woman. Like, can you imagine? Just ima- like her reaction to this whole thing is, "Here we go." That tells you everything you need to know about that character. I mean, in in a in a in like a carry-on movie, this would be a comedic moment of, "Oh, here we go again." But but to have that kind of line played so dark and work. Oh, it's Damn. just it's just yeah, it's, it's just heartbreaking. It is. It, it it just like I said, it's just want that one line. And that feels like, and a, and a line like that and a delivery like that feels like something they would have discovered during rehearsals. Yeah. It doesn't feel like, I don't think you can just write that. No. No, that was, it was a great moment. Um, Yeah, just haunting. And then he just, he's like a, he's, uh, take out the rape for just a second, but he's like a John Belushi where he just hangs out in the house and won't leave. Yeah, just <laughs> in his underwear. Just in his underwear, just staying in the room. I mean, Louise and Sophie even go out to, like, get a drink, and they come back, and they think that maybe he's gone, but the next morning he's still there. No. Um, and he just, you know, he just he, he's going to leave when he wants to leave, when he's done with this. Well, and, and, and he, he reveals himself to be the sort of bully who's a total pussy, uh, the sort of bully that, that once even the, the slightest resistance is put up to him, and in this case, it's... Uh, uh, Louise threatening his dick with a knife or she's like, ah, oh, take your dick out. And he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, do it. Uh, I'm into it. And then, so he does. And then she grabs a knife and is like, you get the fuck out of here or your friend's going down. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cut your prick off. Yeah. I'm going to cut your prick off. That's, that's the audience cheer moment, by the way. Yeah. If there was any, then, if there was any moment in this movie that gave you somewhat of an upbeat feeling, it's that moment where Louise stands up and is like, yeah. get the fuck out. And he collapses pretty quick and is gone. Relatively quickly, and forgets a and bunch of money. Porsche, and for and for, well, I mean, uh, this is a rich guy. He doesn't care. It's not, no. he doesn't. Get to, he probably doesn't even remember he had that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so, yeah. That's how she gets him out of there, and then uh, and then and it's and and before that even happens, though, Jason, the yes, the moment that kind of gets me too is when Johnny has been has gotten the fuck beat out of him by these thugs in the street, which is probably the only time I could say, well, he probably didn't deserve that. <laughs> he did, probably didn't deserve it, but it did serve as a surrogate from the beating that he didn't get when he ran away from Manchester. True. I'm just saying, like specifically those. Yeah. Guys. No. No. <laughs> that they they couldn't have known what he'd done. No. So when he stumbles into back into like Louise and uh, and Sophie's home, and he's like you know half dead, it seems like. Um, the the next morning when he finally come or that night actually I should say when he finally comes to. When he's when he's conscious enough to see Jeremy and they're looking at each other, that's such an interesting moment too. Because Jeremy is it's almost like they see, you know, each other in each other. Mm, yeah, a little <laughs> and, bit. Little and and bit. Jeremy almost backs down a little bit, like he looks yeah. like put off by this guy a bit. He's like, oh, is he doing the thing I'm doing? Is he is he is he also doing this role? Do I have competition now? Can yeah, I not handle is, that? Does he does he see what a what a phony I am or something like that? Who in this room is the number one rapist? Find out tonight on Regis Philbin's Who Wants to Be the Number One Rapist. I said it'd never work, and they told me I was wrong, so here I am. 
They said, Regis, you're crazy. Gelbin, get out of here. Uh, so, he's probably still working on whatever show. Uh, is, is Kelly still on the air? Uh, I mean, she's probably she's. I don't know because doesn't she have like twenty six kids or something? Uh, Kelly, I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't that the thing for a while? I remember when Kathy Lee. they they were making fun of her. They were making fun of uh, the show on SNL in like the mid two thousands, and they had a bit where they threw the commercial and came back, and Amy Poehler was like, "Hey, I'm pregnant again." <laughs> so I think that was going on for a while. Um. So, yeah, so that's kind of everything kind of comes to a head. Jeremy gets threatened. He leaves. And then they have that final moment that's, I mean, ultimately a, a, a sweet kind of moment with Louise and Johnny. Because, again, like I, was, like I said, there had to have been something there. He ha- I, yeah. I feel like there's something, something happened to change everything. Because I don't think he was always this person. Yeah, something definitely happened. Or... He, or as a consequence of his uh, his need to rape people, perhaps it has changed him. Maybe. Uh, but uh, uh, but but that before that scene even like so we have them all in the bathroom and Sophie's there with Louise and Johnny and as we know Sophie's kind of had a thing for Johnny despite mm-hmm. being raped by him she still clearly has a thing for him and then Louise is like yeah, can I talk to Johnny alone. And she doesn't really want to leave. She's like, uh, do you want to talk to her alone? And he, she, he's like, are you being sarcastic? And she's like, no. And he's like, then get the fuck out. Or no, no, he didn't say that. Do he as you're do told. It. Do as you're told, yeah. And so I think that for her is kind of the last straw at that point for her emotionally. And she leaves. Yeah, yeah. and she just is like, she's done. She's out there crying and she grabs her shit and she just goes. Um, but in the bathroom, well, she's crying outside. But anyways, in the bathroom, yes, they do have a bit of a nice moment. And Louise... Says to him, like, do you want to come back to Manchester? I'm got to go to work here, but we can go. Yeah. He's like, we got the money? And she's like, yep, I can pay for us both. We can just hop on the bus and go back to Manchester. It's like, yeah, that's that's cool. I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. And then she leaves and goes to work. He gets up, grabs the money off the off the bench, and heads out the door. Just hobbles down the street. Hobbles down the street in, in a great final scene of him just hobbling down the street and it's an interesting one because he has a lot of trouble at first, and then we see him as as he goes on. He works he works himself into a rhythm. He like he finds the least painful way to do it, mm-hmm. and he's and he's just bouncing along as he's going, and that's and that's where the movie ends. It's interesting too because he that that ending. It's like well, yeah, it feels very. I mean, obviously, feels cruel that they've just had this reunion of sorts, and he's and ultimately he can't do it. He takes the money and goes. But I think it also calls back to the fact that I, I think there's some merit in saying that he um, he thinks that there's a catch to everything. And he's like, well, well you know, it, we had this reunion and everything seems fine. And we're going to Manchester, but it's probably not going to work. He knows there's a catch to going back to Manchester, which is those people are going to beat the fuck out of him when they see him. They're not going to worry that he's already been beaten. Yeah. I mean, that's in his head, too. But I think I think ultimately, though, he's also thinking like. Yeah. I, I just think that anytime something good happens, he doesn't believe it. He's also a guy that I don't think likes to be beholden to anybody for any reason. That too, yeah. And uh, and to to go back with her would, you know, it might be the beginning of a new relationship, and maybe he's not ready to be beholden to that thing again. Because I think in the moment he's obviously vulnerable, but at the end of the day, he's not really that guy. <laughs> you know, he's not. He's we don't we don't quite know what guy he is, but but yeah, he uh, he's just like. Peace in the Middle East. Goodbye. So the movie, uh, movie-wise, filming-wise, uh, very Mike Lee-esque. Like, not, the, the, 
feels very much. Uh, Mike Lee's another guy where uh, this is another one of his very early works, and I don't feel like his. I, I should. I don't want to say like. I was going to say his style hasn't evolved, but I think what I'm trying to say is I feel like he had a good grasp on his style pretty much right away. And I, like you said, it, it is very much like a play, but I think you can't deny the fact that he doesn't shoot his movies like a play. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting camera stuff that he does or that his cinematographer does, Dick Pope. And and yet he still does have the wisdom to know when to just put the camera down and let the actors do their thing. Exactly, and he'll use like more subtle movements. Like even when he's shooting it in silhouette, it's pretty much still, but it's doing that like slow zoom, you know, Mm -hmm. just a very, very slow thing. Or if it's like showing both characters on screen, it's kind of moving like a little bit, but it's only doing like a subtle thing. Like it'll kind of pan a little bit when a character is uh, supposed to be the most interesting one in the scene, or you're supposed to focus on that part of the Mm -hmm. scene more. But he he's he's a very subtle director. That's what I'm trying to say. Also, if I remember correctly, loves cellos in his soundtracks. Oh, Mike Lee. Yeah, I feel like I've heard a lot of cellos in his movies. Okay, this one is among them. Yes, yeah, his soundtrack, his scores are always quite good too. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, he's worked with this this same cinematographer, uh, Dick Pope. Uh, well, he worked with him in this movie, and I think he worked with him right up to his most recent films. And uh, I mean, he, when you get a guy that knows your knows your style, you you hang on to him. Isn't that what they used to call Ron Jeremy, <laughs> the Dick Pope? Yeah, now they just call him Incarcerated. Yeah. What? He's like like Benedict. He is now the the Dick Pope Emer Emeritus. Oh, actually, both Benedict isn't because he's fucking dead. So <laughs> good on him. Good on. I was gonna say, speaking of uh, that character in this movie, Naked, <laughs> named Jeremy, I gotta mention uh, Claire Skinner's great performance and briefly, but great yes. performance when she's coming home to this nonsense, yeah. and she's just like, "Oh my god! Yeah. Like, what am I gonna do?" Like, she's she's cleaning, she's asking people, it's, like, "Who is this? Who yeah. is that? What's going? Why are you in my room? Don't smoke in here!" Like, <laughs> no, she's completely fucking out of her mind, and and it's understandable because it th- like it, it's one of my favorite performances in the movie because it is so real. It's like imagine in her situation, she's been in Zimbabwe, she just got off a super long flight yeah. back to America, she had to fight her way through customs in the airport. She is tired as shit. She's probably hot and needs a shower. She gets in the door, and this is what she comes to—a fucking destroyed apartment. And her two roommates in bed with some weird random guy and then some other fucking guy walking around in his underwear. And her, like she is so like her mind is so like shut down that she can't even make thoughts, complete sentences. She can't even think of words. She's so like, oh, my God. What's really cool, too, is that this is the only these are the only scenes we see her in. But you could tell just from her acting in these scenes that if we saw her normally, she would clearly be a very reserved put together person like i think she's probably the least troubled of all of these people and yeah, and no, just she, because you could tell though just the way she's freaking out you could tell she doesn't often do this she reminds me somewhat of my aunt just because her hair and her clothing were very my aunt more similar style and similar hair in the 90s and i kept thinking of her <laughs> <laughs> maybe she but is. also like my my aunt is not nearly as uh, much of a clean freak as this girl is but not even a clean freak. I, I think that that's unfair to say to her. She's not a clean freak. She just walks in and sees her apartment pretty much just fucking trashed. Jason, I gotta <laughs> say, if this is, I'm gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it right now. If this is your aunt, I'm just gonna say uh, she's uh, she's pretty fetching. Well, I'll let her know that you think so. 
please. Through this through this weird proxy. <laughs> yep. Just say, uh, my friend Brendan said that if you're Claire Skinner, you are pretty fetching. <laughs> my friend like, Brendan Ooh. says a girl that looks like you is hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would, what, would, what would you do if she said, oh, Claire Skinner, I'm a fan? I'd be like, wow, your film education is broader than I expected. <laughs> you can't call them broads anymore, Jason. Uh, I'm trying. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, that's Nick. Uh, do, you, do you have any other big things you want to discuss uh, about this one? I don't know. I mean, I may, perhaps in the bits and bobs, I feel like we've discussed a lot of it, but there might be a bitter bob left. So Okay. Well, bitter bobber, let's get at her. Um We're going to take a <laughs> It didn't work at all, but let's just move past it. Uh, we're going to take a brief break. And uh, we'll be right back. It's the age of radio. Bits and bobs. With Jason and Brendan. Thank you. Today on Bits and Bobs, uh, we talk about the movie we were just talking about. Uh, So the actress that plays Sophie, uh, R.I.P., she passed away in... 2001 i believe oh that's too bad that's yeah, uh, uh katrin cartledge yes uh wonderful actress enjoyed her in this uh role but i don't i'm apparently she was also in topsy-turvy i don't remember her specifically she played a, a brothel madam yeah yeah and I'm it trying must have to, been but, a fairly a fairly small part but the reason i'm asking is because i don't know the way she's acting in this movie um i don't know if this is how she actually is or if she because i feel like she's doing a bill nighy impersonation uh-huh. The way she speaks, because she has this very closed mouth accent and like just very, mm. very, it feels very Bill Nighy in, <laughs> in execution. And I had to look around and be like, is she related to Bill Nighy? Are they like, but no, I don't know. It's not oh, wow. She died from septicemia. That's yeah. brutal. Complication from something else. Yeah. Yeah. Poor woman. And she was, uh, and she was like, like rolls light. She's going to be in 21 grams and they had to recast because she died. I, I, I can't help it every time I hear Bill Nye, I think Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> Is that a sketch they did on SNL? Nope, nope. No. Just something I think about. Has Bill Nye ever hosted SNL? Nope. Well, he should, because he's great. He should, but he hasn't. Be mad. I am. I like that the, there's a line that Johnny says about them uh, going up to space, and he's like, why, why don't they, instead of going up there, why don't they just fucking focus on down here? People always say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jeremy is like Patrick Bateman, kinda, yeah, just short of the murders. But even like, like Patrick Bateman had had this plastic personality that I guess served him in business. I, this I, guy, I, I don't know that he he does seem to have some charisma, but there's just something even even creepier about him. Like 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 obviously there's something creepy about a plastic person, but well, I, I think know. I th- I'm thinking about Patrick Bateman when he's got the prostitutes in his house and he's like, get on top of her. And anyway, I was just thinking that, uh, don't just stare at it, eat it. Yeah, he's not even looking. Yeah, yeah. And our psycho friend asked the the girl after attack that waitress after he attacks her, "Have you ever wanted to commit suicide?" And then he tells her that he's going to commit suicide when he's forty if he's still alive because he doesn't want to be old. Yeah, that's fucked. Uh. Johnny's coughing and stuff throughout the movie, and I thought that maybe that would come to something. But remember, this is Mike Lee's slice of life. Not everything has to mean something. Uh, well, not everything has to be like, you know, Pavlov's cough. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not everything has to show up. and uh, Chekhov's, not Pavlov. Pavlov's cough would be like if I like snapped my fingers and you coughed, or if I rang a bell and you coughed. Oh, don't do it, Jason. You know I'll do it. Bling, bling, bling. 
<laughs> when he says, have you ever seen a dead body? Of course, that brought me right back to Stand By Me, one of my favorite movies. Which is like, oh, you want to go see a dead body? Unfortunately, it wasn't nearly as fun or wistful. Um, yeah, I thought yeah, this movie was going to be a lot more fun, right? I guess the yeah, I guess the last real note I have is that the, him going on about his various revelations, he just sounded like a like a more educated Alex Jones. He at one point does claim to have a psychology degree, but I think he's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay, I I I noted a f- uh, I got a few things here. Um, I I did note the line he said the the thing he talked talked to the security guard about how there there is no present. Yeah. And he's like, well, this is the present right now. He's like, not anymore. That's the past. That's the future. Yeah. There is no future. He's like, everything is coming and passed away. Um, yeah. which is very a very 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 negative look. On well, but life. I mean, it's kind of true, and then it's it's always moving along. Like no no, no a moment is an infinite moment in time. Like uh, I I also <laughs> noted I also noted during his biblical rant, uh, he could have been either a a televangelist or b a, a correspondent on Infowars. So there you go. Yeah, no, no, no question. He would even Alex would do well. I, Alex would enjoy his uh, his uh, views. I'm sure, although may, they may not be uh, uh, as uh, anti-Semitic enough. <laughs> like, oh, you got to suddenly make it more anti- anti-Jewish. Although, Alex, to be fair, Alex uh, doesn't intentionally say anti-Semitic things. Um, we we didn't mention that quick scene that actually <laughs> gave me a pretty good laugh when he yeah. uh, when Johnny goes up to the limo and the driver just assumes that that's the guy he's been waiting yeah. for and lets him in. <laughs> and then Johnny's like, he's like, you know, will you will your uh, will Mrs. whatever be coming? And he's like, oh no, she's out. Uh, what does he say? forget what he says he says something something fucking very low class and the driver's like all right get out get out of here get the fuck out (laughs) (laughs) like immediately no it's just i'm assuming just from the way he talked and the way he lit a cigarette and everything yes Um, by the way this movie was described i happen to see it uh the description of this movie as a dark comedy and while there are funny moments in this movie i don't know that i would classify it as a dark comedy and maybe say to someone oh it's a dark comedy it'll be really funny listen i i mean Death the Smoochie is a dark comedy. This but is, I could, this but is... but I don't think a comedy, a dark comedy, necessarily is one that's making you laugh minute to minute. I mean, I think there's enough in here that's that's funny. Like there's a lot, there are a lot of funny lines. I mean, yeah, but I mean, a movie doesn't. A movie can have lots of funny moments and not be a comedy. I mean, we've seen that plenty of times. Drama yeah. movies with comedy beats, you know, it, it can, that's it can, fine. It can it can be both, I guess. It's, I don't know how I would necessarily describe it. It's not an anchorman comedy, but I mean, it's certainly <laughs> a type of comedy. Like it's a dark. It's a it's a darkly funny movie at, t- at a lot of moments in this movie. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's very dark, but I mm. kind of there are see some, that. there are absolutely some funny moments. So. Uh, I, Jeremy, I, I, uh, Jeremy, uh, maybe the worst thing he does in this movie, maybe even worse than the rape, is when he tells Sophie, "Oh, I hope you don't have AIDS now." Yeah, oh, that's pretty bad too. Like making her joking that he just gave her AIDS, like. Jesus yeah, Christ. it doesn't matter whether he's lying or not. It doesn't. It doesn't just to fucking just to fuck with her. That's all it is. It's just to mess with her. He doesn't care. I shouldn't say worse than the rape, but I just mean, I just mean it's it's yeah, it's a it's, really awful thing to say. One, one extra one extra trauma on top of everything else. Yeah, um, I like that. At some point, we we are because we follow Johnny for a while, and I think I think it's really interesting because I think even if he is. A despicable character. He's a very interesting character to follow. But I love how we cut between him and then Louise and Sophie. Like we're kind of going back and forth because at first we're going back and forth between him and like Jeremy, and then once Jeremy kind of starts arriving in the scene, we kind of cut back between him and and the girls. Um, 
And that's pretty much all I got for Bits and Bobs. All right. So Bits and Bobs, lockdown once more. Yes, sir. But I will tell you a few things about this movie. Um, Mike Lee first had the idea for this story uh, in the early 1960s. He said he had a very enlightened teacher who endlessly reminded them that the next total eclipse would be in August 1999. Just yeah. kept reminding them about this. Um, he And then he said, later I started thinking about the millennium and the end of the world. In 1992, the millennium was impending, so I brought that idea to the film. Because there's a lot of apocalyptic shit that he says throughout the movie uh, about the world possibly ending. Um, uh, David Thewlis, uh, to prepare for this movie, he read... Uh, Voltaire's Candide, uh, the teachings of Buddha, James Gleek's Chaos, as well as the Bible and the Quran. He re- he he read all that stuff just to give himself some context for the character. God damn! Now you got to respect that level of research into a, a project like that. Yep. Um, one guy. Uh, this, so just in kind of describing Al. Uh, <laughs> Almost said Alfie. <laughs> Just in describing Johnny, uh, this guy, this guy named Sheridan Morley, uh, has got a great name, and he he kind of actually described Johnny as Alfie in the grips of Thatcherite depression. Yeah, um, he said cross fertilizing Bill Naughton's chirpy Cockney Lothario, immortalized by Michael Caine, with the dark, sinister disaffection of the new underclass. A neat way of indicating that the swinging sixties had degenerated into the nauseated nineties. Yeah, I mean, this was after Thatcher was gone, but in major too. I think this is very early in Tony Blair's reign. But yeah, you can imagine what all those years of Thatcherism have done to people. Yeah, L- lingering, yeah, lingering shit that she left behind for sure. Um, there's also uh, theories on who Johnny might represent. Some people said, you know, a modern, although highly flawed Jesus attempting to change people's lives, or maybe he's the devil himself. Yeah. Um, others have suggested it as a post-AIDS morality movie or an urban existentialist tale. Um, people have made comparisons to Hamlet uh, in that Hamlet incessantly talks to the audience, assuming a dominance over other characters through expressions of mania and rapid witty speech. Mm. Thulis wrapped like Hamlet in a black and inky coat is similarly socially untethered, but burdened with useless knowledge and a vicious bullying line in repartee. Actually, he kind of reminds me a bit of a young Hitler uh, from from reading uh, Ian Kershaw's book about Hitler in his youth. Uh, it was really fascinating and how he was this kind of dark character and, you know, probably spouting out conspiracy theories at the time. Definitely, you know, obviously in, in the trenches learning that anti-Semitism mm-hmm. uh, and seeing that in Foster in Vienna even before the war. But yeah, that kind of like dark character. Now, I I know based on what I've read about Hitler, he did not have the same kind of personal charisma that Johnny had. But but obviously we know his speaking charisma was the thing that kind of got him through. Johnny, Johnny could be a Hitler if he wanted to, I'm sure. I, I, it just reminds me how shocked I was when young Hitler got canceled by Teletoon. Yeah, you, you know, I really thought it was going to make it, especially I wanted to see how him and Clara, their mother-son relationship was going to work out. But uh, yeah. I mean, Clone I guess, High did well. I mean, come on, guys. Clone High's coming back, I think. Oh, okay. Supposedly. Well, welcome back, Gandhi. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, that's the thing. I don't think he's going to be in the, <laughs> in the remake. Um, last thing I want to say just about the movie itself is apparently the only serious improvisation that was filmed was the scene of Johnny meeting and antagonizing the poster man. Okay. So that was <laughs> that had the most improv. Just like um, David Dulles just... Do it, do it himself. Just annoy the fuck out of this guy until he punches you. Yep. 
the and there is a song sung by Johnny and Louise near the mo- near the end of the movie. Uh, Take me back to Manchester when it's raining. Yeah. Um, is one Mike Lee used to sing with his friends uh, in uh, the International Social Socialist Jewish Youth Movement? He joined as a schoolboy. Um, nice. After the movie was released, uh, Lee actually heard from a retired schoolmaster uh, who had written the song for a school review in 1950. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. But the response to this movie, this movie generated mostly positive reviews. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 88%. Um, but the consensus reading, Naked lives up to its title with a thoroughly committed performance from David Thewlis that's backed up with some of Mike Lee's most powerful direction. Uh, the Guardian said, It's certainly Lee's most striking piece of cinema to date, and it tries to articulate what is wrong with the society that Mrs. Thatcher claims does not exist. Um, of Johnny, he writes, he likes no one, least of all himself, and he dislikes women even more than men, relapsing into sexual violence as his misogyny takes hold. He is perhaps redeemable, but only just, and not by any women, woman in our immediate view. Um, Roger Ebert uh, loved it, four out of four. Said uh, He analyzed the message behind the title, saying, It describes characters who exist in the world without the usual layers of protection. They are clothed, but not warmly or cheerfully, but they are naked of families, relationships, homes, values, and in most cases, jobs. They exist in modern Britain with few possessions except their words. He said, Lee's method has created in Naked a group of characters who could not possibly have emerged from a conventional screenplay. That is the kind of film that is beyond imagining, and only observation could have created it. He also said, this is a painful movie to watch, but it's also exhilarating, as all good movies are, because we are watching the director and actors venturing beyond any conventional idea of what a modern movie can be about. Here there is no plot, no characters to identify with, no hope. But there is care. The filmmakers care enough about these people to observe them very closely to note how they look and sound and what they feel. Mm-hmm. The uh, most negative thing about this movie was uh, uh, a lady named Julie Burchill, who attacked this movie in the Sunday Times, said that Lee's characters talked like lobotomized Muppets. <laughs> Subwittily the way Diane Arbus's subjects look. Okay, sure. Yeah, so, a lot of criticism about the. Uh, well, a few people criticized the, the 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 female characters, and actually Leslie Sharp responded, and uh, and said, "Well, I think it's real, and it's a pretty realistic yeah. representation of abusive relationships." People have been through that shit, one hundred percent. Um, no Oscars. No, no Oscars. But at the BAFTAs, it is nominated for one award because Mike Lee doesn't get a lot of love, unfortunately, at the awards mm-hmm. for some reason. But what do you think it's nominated for? Uh, would it be Best uh, Actor for David Thewlis? It is nominated for Best British Film, but the winner that year is Shadowlands. Don't know. Not not a Terrence Malick picture. No, uh, which is a reference for no one because that's cut <laughs> out of the episode. <laughs> um, I don't know the budget, but the movie made around $1.8 million. I cannot imagine the budget was high. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, yeah, that's naked. So Jason, tell us, tell us what you're feeling. What what do you think? And uh, and uh, what do you what do you think about this list? I mean, goddamn, Mike Lee, you asshole! What are you doing making all these great movies? Uh, yeah, every movie we've watched by him so far has been fantastic. I'm actually really interested to find out what his worst movie is and watch that, uh, just to see how bad it actually is. It's probably not that bad. But uh, yeah, this he's been consistently great. His characters are wonderful. We. I mean, what more can I say after talking about Secrets and Lies and Life is Sweet and Happy-Go-Lucky and Topsy-Turvy? Like, you guys know, we like Mike Lee. Mm -hmm. And this is more Mike Lee. He's great. It's dark, but it is a great movie. Um, Don't, like I say, 
take it as a dark slice of life. Don't necessarily expect everything to get tied up and enjoy the character study that it is, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. I don't know if it's my favorite, Mike Lee. I think I mean, Secrets of Lies and Life is Sweet are up there, but it's still great. So is it is it a maybe for you as far as it's the list a maybe? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that we should have more Mike Lee on the list, but <sighs> I mean, you can't argue with the man's work. It's great. Yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna put it in the maybe camp just because there's so much great Mike Lee we've watched so far. Yeah. Um, but it is a, it, this is a movie I really really liked. Um, even if it is you know at times very disturbing, and but effective and never feels exploited exploitative. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of these movies, a lot of these like oh this movie's so disturbing. It's like yeah, yeah but does it need to be? But I feel like this movie accomplishes it without feeling like it's doing it for shock value or doing you, it for I, like I can tell you, nothing in this movie was titillating despite the presence of tits <laughs> no this movie no this it's it's a it's a very downbeat movie but i'm just saying that like i don't think it was ever done when i say exploitive i mean like just you know there's a rape scene and you're like oh why was that there or there's like yeah. a beating and you're like why is that there like it all ties into the story it doesn't feel like it's just there meant to shock people or meant to make people Meant to like upset people intentionally for no reason, no thematic reason. So yeah. I will say, uh, I will also put in the maybe camp. Um, but it has it has a pretty good chance. But there's, yeah. like I said, I, 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 we can't put all the Mike Lee on. Here. I know that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> and to answer your question, I think the worst Mike Lee I've seen so far is Mr. Turner, and I'd still call that a solid movie. Yeah, I would agree. So of the ones we've watched so far, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, still a great movie, but still good. <laughs> so there you go. Um, all right, so we did it. We've we've conquered naked. We're both still clothed. I am actually uh, not wearing pants, though. Um, <laughs> who needs them? Who needs them? Don't need them. Never. But, Jason, we are coming to a point in the podcast that is uh, quite magical. Would you and, say? Yes, absolutely magical. And, folks, we, yes, we, we, we did Shallow Grave, and I know there, another podcast did Shallow Grave recently, too, and that's fine, but we trust in the wheel. So we didn't know. I haven't listened to this podcast. I'm familiar with one of the guys on it, but it was all us. It was all and the also, wheel. And also, FYI, we recorded it before we knew that that was their episode. Absolutely, so. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, so we go to the wheel, Jason. The Wheel of Fate that will determine our next movie. We don't have the courage to choose the movie ourselves, so we leave it in the hands of the universe. And this is going to determine the next movie we talk about on the Empire British list. So here we go. It is spinning. It is spinning. Round and round she goes. Okay. This one is going to be a bit more upbeat, I think. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) So we... So we're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, Warren's brother Oscar because we're gonna get Oscar Beatty up in here, Ooh. Um, and we are gonna watch and talk about the King's Speech. Oh, okay, yep. The best picture good. winner from a few years ago. The, one of those best picture winners that nobody remembers. Nobody remembers, but is it good? We'll find out. We'll find out. So perhaps we'll get some. So perhaps we'll get some more Colin Firth. And some more Jeffrey Rush, as we talked about him in uh, Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love. All right, yes. And the Banger Sisters. Remember we did our episode on them? Uh, yeah, sure. They were and, great. And uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Uh, we were my favorite British about, adventure pictures. Yeah, we, we talked about Minions, of course, where he played the narrator. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gods of Egypt, classic British cinema. Of course. 
Uh, okay, so King's Speech, talk about it next week. I promise you it is a much more uh, upbeat movie. Having not even seen it, I am yeah. certain of that. I, I think he figures out how to speak is what I'm saying. Spoiler wow. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but there you go. So until then, uh, you know, you can find us all over the place. We're on all the podcast apps. Our home base is Age of Radio. Uh, you go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. And Gundra. And if you want to find us on the Facebook, uh, you can just find it. Just search for us. Uh, we're also on Twitter at FSACpod, as in for screen. And Gundra. Podcast. Jason, what about you? Uh, I'm over on Twitter and Hive at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Podcast. It's still happening, I guess. So come on over and say hi. Yeah, Jason's still hanging out with his buddy Elon. Yeah, oh yeah. We're just chatting about rockets every day. If he chatted about rockets every day, it'd be fine. But yeah, that's not what he bad. does. No, <laughs> uh, he wants to build the town square, but he doesn't want to fucking sweep it. I'll tell you that much. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> fucking soapbox <laughs> over here. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So uh, King speech next week. We'll see you then. But until then, Jason, I just gotta say to you, God save the king. Please send us some chicken wings. And for Screening Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Bok, bok. The balcony is closed. <laughs> TM, registered. They're dead. They're <laughs> no, stupid. We, it's no, ours. We, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. We can take it. The copyright ran out. Uh, well, this checks out. I don't see why you don't get naked with me. All the little secrets out in the open air Cause we won't ever be all that we could be As long as you won't get naked with me Holding back There's something in your past Seems to haunt you For better or for worse I say I met it through and through No one has ever loved you More than I do I do I don't see 